This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. Turn with me in the Holy Scriptures this morning to the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew 25. We begin our reading this morning at verse 14 and read through verse 30. Matthew 25, at verse 14, the Word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art in hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant 
into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There ends our reading of the Word of God this morning. May the Lord bless our reading of the Holy Scripture. I call your attention this morning to Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Catechism's explanation of the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment is, Thou shalt not steal. Reading Lord's Day 42, question and answer 110, What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right as by unjust weights, L's. The L is an old English unit of measurement. An L is an arm, the length of the arm. That's why the bend in the arm is called the elbow. The L was a unit of measure about 40 to 45 inches, and it was used especially in measuring textiles. L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. But what doth God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may, and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further, that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Thou shalt not steal. Inform the Eighth Commandment is negative. It forbids something. It forbids theft. All taking of another man's goods or property, whether by force, by fraud, or in any way without his consent. But not only is the Eighth Commandment negative. As much as a certain kind of behavior is forbidden by the Eighth Commandment, the Eighth Commandment enjoins upon us a positive calling. Not only are we not to take to ourselves the goods of our neighbor, but we are properly to use those goods that God has entrusted to us. The Eighth Commandment does not only express God's will 
concerning the neighbor's property. But the Eighth Commandment expresses God's will for the property that God has given to us. That calling of the Eighth Commandment, that aspect of the Eighth Commandment, is generally referred to as Christian stewardship. And it is with that aspect of the Eighth Commandment that I want to begin our consideration of the Eighth Commandment. Every Christian is a steward. To every Christian has been given a certain stewardship. We can understand what that word steward is by looking at the meaning of the word itself. The first part of the word steward is really the old English word sty, sty, which means house. Probably some of the teenagers in the congregation this morning have heard from their parents that their room is a pigsty. Well, that means a pig's house. A ward, the second part of the word steward, a ward is really a keeper, a caretaker. A steward, therefore, is one who has been entrusted with the care of another's house or possessions. The house and the possessions of his Lord. The Christian is God's steward. This was Adam's position in the Garden of Eden in the beginning. God placed Adam in the garden in order to dress it and to keep it. Adam was not given by God any goods of his own. The garden was God's. And in the garden, Adam was called to be God's steward. Your place in the world and my place in the world today is really no different than Adam's. We are entrusted by God with certain gifts and abilities, with goods and possessions, and now we are to use them on God's behalf and for the glory and the praise of God. This is also the instruction of the parable. Jesus' parable 
of the talents. The parable of the talents brings out the positive instruction of the Eighth Commandment. I call your attention to the Eighth Commandment this morning. Thou shalt not steal called to faithful stewardship. Let's notice, first of all, the principles that are involved. We must understand the fundamental principles involved in the Eighth Commandment. Then in the second place, the calling that is implied. And third, the reward that is promised. There are certain fundamental principles that are involved in the Eighth Commandment. There are four such principles. First, the fundamental basis for Christian stewardship is the truth that God is the sovereign owner of all things. Everything in the world, every creature in the universe, and we ourselves belong to God. The sovereignty of God is fundamental to the Eighth Commandment. Psalm 24 Verse 1, the psalmist says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God himself says in Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. The first Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism underscored this fundamental truth. We are not our own. None of us is His own. We belong to another. The parable that we read underscores this fundamental principle. The Lord in the parable imparts His goods to His servants. Verse 14, He is Lord over all, over the servants and over the goods that He imparts to His servants. God is the owner of all things because God has created all things. And God is the owner of all things because it is by God's power that all things continue to exist. Once again, we see how fundamental the truth of creation is fundamental to all of the life of 
the Christian. Don't say, don't allow it to be said that we can deny the truth of creation. We can compromise the truth of creation because that's not a salvation issue. The truth of creation has everything to do with salvation and to the life of those who are saved. The denial of this truth that God is the sovereign owner of all things is at the basis of all misuse of our earthly possessions. Practically, too often, practically, we view the earthly things that God has given to us as our own in the ultimate sense of the word. It's my money. It's my house. It's my farm. It's my business. It's my property. It's my job. It's my car. My food. My clothes. No, it's not. Emphatically. No, it's not. We fail to view Every earthly possession, all that we are and all that we have, is not our own, but as God's. That viewpoint is fundamental to obedience to the Eighth Commandment. We fail to assume the attitude that's expressed at the end of the 110th answer. As also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. They are his gifts. That is also the teaching of the parable. The Lord in the parable imparted to his servants his goods. And even the slothful servant recognized that. Verse 24, verse 25, and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent, thy talent in the earth. A second fundamental principle underlying Christian stewardship is that as the sovereign owner of all things God has distributed to every man a certain portion of the things of this world. God has done that. He gives to every man. He gives to you. And he gives to me. The measure of the things of this world that each of us 
possesses. God is sovereign in His distribution of the world's goods, just as He owns it all, so He distributes it as He pleases. That's 1 Samuel 2, verses 7 and 8. The Lord maketh poor, and maketh rich. He bringeth low, and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. This too is illustrated clearly in the parable. To one servant, the Lord gives five talents. To another servant, the Lord gives two talents. And to another servant, he gives one talent. Implied in the Eighth Commandment, and implied in this truth that God sovereignly distributes this world's goods to every man as he sees fit is the right of private ownership. The right of private property. This is a fundamental aspect of the Eighth Commandment. What's yours is yours, and what's mine is mine. And I may not take from you what God has given to you, and you may not take from me what God has given to me. That's stealing the sin that is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment implies the principle of private ownership. The Eighth Commandment dignifies the right of every Christian to possess personal property, the right to own what is lawfully his, the right to possess the fruit of his labors, his hard work, the right to enjoy the yield of wise investments. All this is implied in the Eighth Commandment. And this is how we must live in the covenant and how we show ourselves to be God's covenant people. The Eighth Commandment is a matter of God's covenant. We must see that and we must never forget that. That's what's at stake. 
in the Eighth Commandment. God's covenant. We are God's covenant people. And we are called to live as the covenant people of God. This explains all of the warnings found in the Old Testament against stealing. There are many of them. The two chapters that immediately follow the giving of the law in Exodus 20 are chapters filled with warnings against stealing. This explains why the prophets thundered against stealing and cheating and all the oppression of the poor and the widows, the orphans, and the fatherless. This explains the strong language that is used and why the Old Testament says that God hates, He hates stealing, robbery, and oppression. This explains why if you were to take the Old Testament alone and collect all of the statements condemning those who steal, you would soon realize that all of those statutes and all of those penalties, which not only call for the punishment of the thief, but also restitution on his part, testify that stealing is in God's eyes a very serious crime, a crime of great consequence, a crime that among his people must never be taken lightly. This explains why in the New Testament the apostle says that thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven and warns that no Christian ought to suffer as a thief. At stake, in the Eighth Commandment, is the covenant of God. For you see, life in God's covenant is to be a life of friendship and fellowship. God calls us to live in the covenant, not only in friendship and fellowship with Him, but in friendship and fellowship with each other. And if we are living together in friendship and fellowship, with each other. We're not thieves. We're not envious of each other. We're not stealing from each other. We're not taking from the other. But God has been pleased to give to Him. A third principle of Christian stewardship. God is the sovereign owner of all things, number one. 
God has sovereignly distributed to every one of us as pleases him, number two. And now number three, the means by which it pleases God to give us our earthly possessions is the means of our working. Labor is dignified by the Eighth Commandment. Hard labor, the work of our hands and the sweat of our brow is dignified by the Eighth Commandment. In the parable, the Lord of the parable calls his servants and imparts to them his goods and calls them to make use of his goods. That's work. The reality is that God calls each of us to a particular earthly calling. This is the means that God uses to give us our earthly possessions. This is the ordinary means. Oh yes, there are exceptions. The exceptions that God himself makes. The exceptions of a man who is injured and is unable to work or a man who cannot find work, or a man who is unable to work sufficiently to provide for the needs of his family, or a man who gets too old to be able to work, or the widow, or the orphan, or whatever other exceptions God may make, but ordinarily the Christian is called to work. But this is implied in the teaching of the Eighth Commandment. The Heidelberg Catechism makes plain. That's pointed out in the 111th answer. That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others further also that I faithfully labor, faithfully labor. The Apostle in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Over against stealing, the apostle places work. Let him labor. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, the apostle says that if a man will not work, if he refuses to work, if he's lazy, neither should he eat. It is God's will that we receive our earthly possessions not by stealing them but by working 
in order to have them. Every Christian must take this will of God seriously. The servant, the wicked servant in the parable is called by his Lord in verse 26, a slothful servant, thou wicked and slothful servant. Slothful means lazy. He was lazy. He did not work when he should have worked. Every Christian must take this will of God seriously. But then, but then, he must work because God has called him to work. Not to get rich. If God blesses a man's labor, the godly man's labor, so that he becomes rich with the things of this world, well and good. Although there are many dangers connected to wealth. The scriptures have many warnings to those who are rich. And the Lord Jesus himself says, How hardly shall a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven? But nothing wrong with riches in themselves. But a man must not work in order to be rich. He mustn't work in order to get a name for himself to be recognized by others in his field, whatever that field may be. But he must work, viewing his labor as his calling from God. That's how we must look at our work. No matter how menial our labor may be, no matter how lowly our earthly calling, doesn't matter. The Christian must view his labor as his calling from God. Oh, how that dignifies earthly labor. What an incentive that is to the Christian to get up every morning, to go to his job. What an incentive to do well at whatever job he has. God has called him to this labor. The final, the fourth principle of Christian stewardship is that God gives us earthly things in order 
that we may use them for his glory. That's Christian stewardship. And now Christian stewardship comes full circle. God is sovereign. He gives us whatever it is of this earth that we possess. And now we must use them for the glory of the one who has given them to us. That is at the very heart of Christian stewardship. All we may use and we may enjoy the things of this earth. Enjoy them ourselves in the use of them. Of course. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24, There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. But even our own enjoyment is not to be first, is not to be the ultimate purpose of God's giving to us the good things of this earth. We are never to view earthly things as an end in themselves. We are never to view the enjoyment of them by ourselves as the ultimate goal. No, the end is the glory of God. Also in respect to the Eighth Commandment, the main thing is love for God. Love for God in regard to earthly possessions. Love for God as regards the stuff that God gives us. Love for God shows itself in the use of all that we have for His glory. The use of all these earthly things for His sake. Not love of possessions, but love of God in the use of our possessions. That's underscored in the Lord's parable. Those to whom the Lord of the parable distributes his goods are his servants. His servants, they are called to serve him. The faithless, the unprofitable servant, is called just that, an unprofitable servant. He brought no profit to his master. He did not use the talent that his master gave him for his master, for the glory of his Lord. All right then, these are the fundamental principles that underlie Christian stewardship. 
How are these principles to be put into practice in our lives? How are we to carry out practically our calling as regards the Eighth Commandment? As far as the practice of Christian stewardship is concerned, the child of God is called to use earthly goods, first of all, for the support of God's kingdom in the world. First things must be first. We parents must impress this upon our children. The preaching must impress this upon us all. First things must be first in our lives. God has given us our earthly possessions. God calls us to use our possessions for His glory, for the advancement of His kingdom, for the support of His church in the world. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek ye first, First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The very worst form of thievery is that we rob God. The Bible talks about that. In the prophecy of Malachi, Malachi 3 Verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. The way in which Israel had robbed God, the prophet makes plain, in the next verse, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That means several things. It means faithful support of the kingdom of God here in the local congregation. We give our budget. You young people, you give in the collection plate. I wonder, I wonder. How much you spend on yourself in a week. Just in your own entertainment and in enjoyment, in buying clothes, in comparison with what you drop in the collection plate on a Sunday morning. 
the Eighth Commandment, calls us all to the support of God's kingdom in the local congregation. It means faithful support of the kingdom of God in the denomination. Faithful support of the causes of missions and the cause of the training of young men in the seminary. And God's people do. I must say that God's people do support the cause of the seminary. That's the aspect that I experience, and I am thankful for that. It means faithful support for evangelism and church extension. Included here is faithful support of the Christian schools, our elementary schools, our high schools, so that we give in order that our children may be brought up on the fundamental truths that we confess and that are dear to our hearts. Too often we must confess first things are not first in our lives. Too often our own little kingdom comes before the kingdom of God. Our pleasures, our vacation, our buying the things that we want. The practice of faithful Christian stewardship means that God and God's kingdom come first in our lives. In the second place, the practice of Christian stewardship requires a wise use of the goods and gifts that God has given to us. God certainly has given us the things of this world so that we may use them and we may enjoy them. That's true of the money that we earn. That's true of the possessions that we have. But there are dangers, oh so many dangers, in the day and age in which we live. We'll look at more of them next time. But at least that we recognize this morning that there is always the danger of putting pleasure and recreation before necessities. Not using our money on those things that our family needs. Not paying the bills, but living altogether above our means. Living extravagantly. Making purchases that are altogether unnecessary not living within a budget. So much, sadly, 
so much of the work of our deacons these days is with those who have gotten themselves into financial trouble because they have not lived in obedience to God's will as regards Christian stewardship. This is illustrated, too, by the unprofitable servant. He hid. He hid his talent in the earth. Verse 25. He squandered. He wasted what God gave him. In the third place, the practice of Christian stewardship requires the use of money and possessions for the relief of the poor. The poor must always be on our mind. The Catechism mentions this in the 111th answer, that I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others further that I faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. That's striking. And faithfully labor so that I may have my own means met. That's what we would expect. And there's something to that, of course. But faithfully labor so that I may be able to relieve the needy. That must be a priority. Jesus impresses us with this calling in his discussion of the last judgment that immediately follows the parable of the talents. I recommend your reading that this afternoon. It is not enough that I do not take my neighbor's goods. But if my neighbor lacks the earthly goods that are necessary necessary to earthly life, I freely and willingly give of my possessions, of my money, so that he may be relieved. We may do that through the office of deacon. We may do that individually, brother to brother. That's what Christ Jesus has done for us. He looked on us in our need, the great need of our sin, our desperate condition in ourselves. He looked on us and He pitied us and He bestowed upon us the wealth and riches that we did not possess and could never obtain in ourselves bestowed upon us the riches of salvation. For the faithful Christian steward, there is the hope and the promise of reward. 
That reward is given at the time of the final judgment. In the parable, the judgment is described as a reckoning. Verse 19, a personal reckoning. He reckoned with his servants. That is a solemn word. It's a long time since the Lord has gone, but he's coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be a reckoning. We, each one of us, is going to be reckoned with. For the slothful servant, the outcome of that reckoning is awful. It's punishment. He was wicked. Wicked and slothful against his Lord. His punishment is that his talent is taken away from him. And that talent is bestowed upon the one who has ten. Sometimes that happens already in this life. But it surely happens in the end. His punishment is that he is cast into outer darkness. Verse 30. Where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For the faithful servants who made good use of their stewardship. There will be a wonderful reward. That reward is first of all the praise of their Lord. Well done Thou good and faithful servant. Imagine that. Those words, all by themselves, are the reward. Besides that, the reward is that we will enter into the joy of the Lord. Whether you had five talents, or whether you had two talents, or one talent makes no difference. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. That's the joy of his presence. The joy of his friendship and fellowship eternally. Added to this is that in heaven we are going to rule over many things. Verse 21 and again verse 23. Here we have a few things. No matter how rich we are, just a few things. But in heaven... We're going to rule over many things. The Bible teaches us that part of that rule will be over the renewed creation and even over the angels. That's the reward. And that reward is a mighty incentive for us to live as faithful Christian stewards. But even then, the reward is a reward of grace. Of that we must never lose sight. We're servants. They were servants. And no servant deserves anything. Deserves a reward from his master. Any reward that a servant receives is a reward of grace. But more than that, The Eighth Commandment exposes our nature. Martin Luther was right when he said, if we look at mankind in its fallen condition, it is nothing but a vast stable full of thieves. And in another place, he said, it is the smallest part of the thieves that are hung If we are to hang them all, where shall we get rope enough? We must make all our belts and straps into hanging ropes. 
That's because, you see, the Eighth Commandment exposes us all as thieves. But by the grace of God, in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness for such a thief as you, and forgiveness for such a thief as me. A forgiveness that shows itself in lifelong gratitude. Amen. Our Father in heaven, receive our thanks. Grant unto us, Heavenly Father, the assurance of forgiveness for our thieving nature. And assure us that in the cross of Jesus Christ, we who by nature are thieves receive the abundance of the blessings of salvation. Dismiss us with thy favor. Gather us again this evening for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.